wanted for Christmas. So she asked Santa for a magical unicorn for Christmas. And Santa says to her, come on, be realistic. Okay, said the mum. Well, I'd like an hour of peace and quiet to myself and to drink a cup of coffee that hasn't gone cold. At which Santa replied, what color would you want the unicorn to be again? Real peace is ever so hard to find, and if you've got young kids or have had young kids, you'll know what I mean. But a little bit more seriously, um, the world in 2018 is less safe at the end of 2018 than it has been for 65 years. I don't know if you've ever seen or know about the doomsday clock. Uh, It's by a group of people called the Atomic Scientists, uh, Science and Security Board, and basically, when the doomsday clock gets to 12 o'clock, it's, it's, it's the end of the world, all right? Um, the last time that it has been at 11.58, which was what it has been for 2018, two minutes to midnight, that's how close to world destruction they think we are, the last time it's been there is 1953, at the height of the Cold War. But at the beginning of 2018, they moved it half a minute closer to midnight to 11.58. And the reason is we are closer to nuclear war because of North Korea and U.S. tensions, but also because of climate change. We're actually closer to the end of the world. The world is not at peace, is it? Not now, and particularly not going to be for our children or their children. But when we're talking about peace, and no peace at least, it's not just out there, is it? It's in here. You need to know that the, uh, the biggest health epidemic in Australia, both now and predicted for the future, is not physical illness, it's mental illness, and particularly one kind of mental illness, anxiety. Anxiety disorders are going to affect, or currently does affect, one in five men in Australia, And one in three women at some point will experience a major anxiety episode. That includes many in our church. That includes many of you here. No peace in here is often more crippling than no peace out there. So when we're talking about real peace peace, and the promise of real peace at Christmas, it can seem a little bit hollow, right? I mean, Christmas itself for many people is quite painful. It's not peaceful. It hurts. It may be grief or sadness or loneliness. So where do we find real peace? How do we find real peace? Who do we look to for real peace? Of course, here you're going to be thinking, well, this is the pastor going to his predictable Christmas sermon-y bit, right? And when we're talking about Christmas and peace, well, you can't go wrong with the picture of peace most people think of when they think of Christmas. That's baby Jesus asleep in his manger. That's what we think about, isn't it? Yeah, I just think about the carol, away in the manger, that line there. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's a picture of peace, isn't it? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you because away in a manger, lovely carol as it is, is lying to us. There's nothing historical or accurate about that picture of baby Jesus. I'm a father of four. I've had four babies. No baby is like that, right? Jesus was a real human baby, not sort of some freaky superhuman baby. If the cows were lowing, and I don't even know what that means, and he's woken up, he'd be screaming his little lungs out like any baby. 
No, my point is real peace isn't going to come from some myth about baby Jesus. Real peace will come from engaging with the real Jesus, the Jesus of history. And today I'm not even going to talk about baby Jesus, but Jesus all grown up. Now, just as an aside, um, you need to know that Jesus was a real historical figure, okay? Not some myth, not someone's imagination. It really happened. He really lived. Ancient historians are in pretty much agreement of this, that Jesus' existence, basic life story, is backed up not just from the Bible, but from non-Christian ancient historical sources. But the best and fullest sources are from the four biographies we have of Jesus' life. They're in the Bible. And Mark, is the one we're looking at today, was written about 30 years after he lived. Now, 30 years is, for some of you, a really long time because you're young, but for some of us, it's not that long ago. 30 years ago was 1988, the bicentenary of Australia. I still remember the bicentenary. It's like reading a book about that 30 years ago. It's not that long ago. Mark was written about 30 years after the events. So we're going to go to one key episode in Jesus' adult life. And we'll see if the real Jesus, the adult Jesus, might be able to bring us real peace both inside and outside. Um, I've got the uh, passage there, so you can look on the overhead. Let me read it. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I've just got three short points. The storm, the serenity, and the Savior. So let's go. Let's talk about the storm. I wonder what's the biggest storm you've ever been in. Some of you would be like, yeah, it was last week. In the middle of the hailstorm. Well, I've been in a bigger storm than that, believe it or not. In 2015, my family and I were in Taiwan, and we were in Taroko Gorge. If you've been there, you'll know. Um, But one of the massive typhoons struck Hong Kong and Taiwan at that time, and we had to be evacuated. As tourists, we had to be evacuated from the gorge. It was too dangerous. And that night, we were bunkered down in our hotel room, looking out the window and seeing rain blow horizontally. I'm not lying. Building debris flying everywhere on the street. People died in that storm. That was the biggest storm that I've been caught in. Now, the Sea of Galilee, where this storm happened, is 700 meters below sea level, and it's bordered by mountains on the east. Now, if you know anything about geography, that's not me. I googled this one. Geographically, it makes it very prone to sudden and violent storms. Cool air would come over the mountain, drops into the basin, and the warm air over the sea, and that is a bad combination, apparently, and storms happen. Now, Matthew's biography, one of the other biographies of Jesus, uses the word seismos for the storm. Seismos, where we get the word seismic, right, has to do with earthquakes. This was a seismic storm, not a normal storm. It was more tsunami-type storm, huge. And you've got to keep in mind, Jesus' disciples were fishermen by profession. 
they made a living on the sea. They've seen some storms. But here, as we read before, they were panicking for their lives. If they were panicking for their lives, it must have been deadly. But I want to say also, more than just a storm, it was symbolically very powerful. Symbolically, storms meant something. For superstitious ancient people, the sea was, on the one hand, the source of life, uh, food, beauty, it was all that. But for them as well, the sea was something they were terrified of because it was a place of darkness and evil. Storms on the sea was a symbol of the powers of darkness and evil and chaos and spiritual war. And drowning was an especially horrible death for ancient people. Not just the pain of drowning, but what it symbolized. Because if, if, if you're drowned, then you've been swallowed up by evil. And your body is generally not recovered, so it's lost to the depths, and it's so not able to properly make its way into the afterlife. And so what we have here in our Mark's biography of Jesus, this little episode, is a picture of the opposite of peace. I hope you see. The opposite of peace. But it's the opposite of peace both, peace both outside and inside. I mean, outside, they've got the stormy seas, right? The evil, the chaos, the conflict, the spiritual battle. But inside, inside their hearts we read, they were fearful and terrified and anxious and panicked. This was no peace inside. There was so much insecurity and uncertainty. They were afraid of losing everything, including their lives. Now that's a really interesting picture between the outside and the inside and how they're linked because that's where the Bible actually squares with life. I don't know if you've thought about this, but I think we know at least in our guts, that what goes out out there often is what affects in here, right? Things that are bad that are happens out there outside of me will impact how I feel inside. There's a link between the outside and the inside when it comes to feeling no peace. But it also goes the other direction as well, right? Because how often does what happened out there actually not just impact what happens in here, but sometimes it's the other way around. How much is what happens out there an overflow of what happens in here? You know what I mean? Like, if I have no peace in my heart, if I live out of insecurity and fear, if I react to the world around me out of anxiety and inner conflict, what does that do to the relationships around me? You see what I mean? No peace in here can overflow out there as well. Um, It's actually one of the insights that the Bible picks up on in a book later on in the Bible called James. Look what it says there on the screen. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Do you see? What causes conflict outside comes from the conflict inside. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Conflict, the lack of peace on the inside, and conflict or the lack of peace on the outside are often linked Which is why if we're going to think about real peace and find real peace, we need a picture of someone who is in control of both the outside and the inside. And so, let me go to my second point, the serenity. See, where was Jesus as this furious storm was raging and the waves were breaking over the boat? Well, we read earlier that he was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. Away in a manger was probably right, but not about baby Jesus, but adult Jesus. There was adult Jesus. No crying he makes. 
not panicking asleep. It's a picture of absolute calm and serenity. And no matter what is happening on the outside, here is Jesus asleep, peaceful, in control. Those of us who suffer from anxiety will know that one of the things you lose almost immediately and that you miss the most is the ability to sleep soundly, not worry, not have a million thoughts, negative, dark thoughts, panicky thoughts crowd you as you're trying to sleep every night. See, why was Jesus able to be so at peace? Well, from one perspective, Jesus is the picture of the perfect human being, the perfect man with complete and perfect faith in God. And so maybe he reminds you of this picture. Have you seen this photo before? We've got, we used to have this hanging in our living room. Uh, this, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? I don't know how they caught that moment. But there's that lighthouse withstanding the storm, and there's a man standing at the door of the lighthouse. If you look closely, the man is there, and he's got his hands in his pocket. He is completely at peace. And maybe this is a picture of Jesus. He is showing a serenity that is truly enviable. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to sleep, even when the world is falling, around, uh, falling apart around them? And if there is that link between inner peace and outer peace, then when Jesus brought peace to the storm outside of the boat, maybe it was because he was already completely at peace inside the boat. And so it was an overflow of his peace inside that went to the outside. Maybe Jesus was at peace because he is the perfect human being. But there's more than that, isn't there? Because Jesus here isn't just at peace because he is the perfect man, but what we celebrate at Christmas is that he is much more than just a man. Let me show you one of the ancient songs of Israel. It's the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs. And look what it says here. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus. Some went out on the sea in ships. God spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm with a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and He guided them to their desired haven. Now compare that again to what we read earlier. Let me read it again. A furious storm came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so terrified? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What is the answer to that question? Who is this? Who is this man? Just for a moment, that storm that you thought about, the biggest storm you've ever been in, picture yourself back in that storm. You're right there, maybe as the hail is falling on you, maybe in the middle of that typhoon or whatever. What would have happened if you had stopped where you are, cried out in a loud voice, quiet, be still? Nothing would have happened. And you probably would have gotten injured. All right? But Jesus does that. So who is this man? Well, we saw earlier, didn't we? Who stills the storm to a whisper? 
Who hushes the waves of the sea? It's the Lord. It's God. This man is God. Because only God calms the storm with a word. Only God can respond to the cry of those drowning. So putting it all together, my third point, this is why Jesus is able to be the Savior that brings real peace. You see, the Bible has diagnosed the human problem for all of us and why there is no peace. There's no peace on the inside. There's no peace on the outside because something broke and something broke so badly that it affected everything. From wars and conflicts to fears and anxieties, even to environmental disasters, the Bible calls this world fallen. You've heard this idea that, that, that we're fallen. Fallen means you fell from some sort of standard. You fell from an ideal, from how God created us to be right at the beginning. It wasn't supposed to be, but we fell. You see, when we as God's creatures decided to push God out of our lives, something broke and something in the world broke. And it's related. It's like Christmas coming up, I'm sure you have lots of food in your fridge. Imagine if you disconnected the fridge today, pulled the plug out. All right, maybe by Christmas it might be okay, but definitely by the end of the week, your food will go rotten, right? Now you can then clean out your fridge, replace the hams and food, but it would go rotten again pretty quickly because the problem is the fridge is disconnected from the power. You got to fix that. And that's like our world. You can't address the problem of no peace out there without addressing the problem of no peace in here. And you can't address the problem of no peace in here without addressing the problem that we have no peace with God. We are disconnected from Him like that fridge from a power source. As long as that's disconnected, as long as our relationship with God is broken and we have no peace with Him, there's not going to be peace in here, not any lasting peace, and there's not going to be peace out there. And that is why God had to enter into our world. That's why Christmas happened. Some religions say that the secret to peace is when you reach enlightenment, but enlightenment is to see suffering and pain as an illusion. It's not really real, and so you can transcend it if you see it as just an illusion. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity is about God recognizing suffering and pain as real, but God enters into our world with all of the suffering and conflict. He doesn't just stand far away looking from a distance like a clockmaker who winds up the clock and lets it tick. No, no, no. He experiences it by entering it and then he's able to provide a real solution to it. Well, how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, towards the end of Mark's biography of Jesus, we will see Jesus face another kind of storm, only a much greater storm. He will face his own death as an innocent man betrayed falsely accused unjustly condemned and there is no personal storm greater than that and faced with that storm jesus it might surprise you there at the end of mark was not a picture of serenity like on that boat he wasn't asleep soundly at least not the night before he would die See, the night before Jesus was about to face his death, knowingly facing his death, he was sleepless and he was anxious and he was fearful. 
he prayed and he pleaded with tears and he sweat so thick that it was like blood. Because the next day on the cross, he would die with nails driven through his hands and his feet. And he would experience the agony of hell. The greatest storm. And he does it so that he, the God whom we rejected, could die in our place. See, our guilt and our punishment for mucking everything up, for falling, for breaking everything, rejecting God, hurting each other, for causing untold suffering through wars, conflict, abuse, pain, not taking care of our environment. Jesus goes on the cross to pay for all of that. And He not only took our punishment in our place so that we would never have to, don't you see, He bore the ultimate anxiety facing the ultimate storm so that no matter how bad things get in our lives, we won't have to. We can be at peace. And there you have the secret to real peace. Firstly, Jesus brings real peace with God. Right? This is the most important first thing we need to have real peace. Peace with God. Connection back to this PowerPoint, like that fridge. And we have peace with God because there's no more fear of punishment. If He's taken it, then there's no more guilt. It's all been paid for. And from peace with God, we get peace in here. Because now that you're friends with God, and if He is for you, the Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? If Jesus is in the boat, what can a storm do? And Christian, the Bible says, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, Jesus is in you by His Holy Spirit. He is in you. And then from peace in here to peace out there. Because if I can relate to people not out of insecurity or fear or suspicion, but instead out of fullness and hope and joy and peace, then it does affect everything and everyone I come in contact with. Imagine if political and world leaders set policies and related to each other out of that fullness and hope and joy and security rather than insecurity and fear and suspicion. We'd have a different world, wouldn't we? Now, Jesus is offering this kind of real peace to us all today. And I wonder if you've experienced it. Even if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you've really experienced it. Or maybe you've forgotten. As Pastor Marshall prayed, less than two weeks ago, 100 members of a church in China, in Chengdu, were arrested. China is currently clamping down pretty heavily on freedom of religion, closing churches, arresting Christians. Among them was a pastor, a pretty famous pastor, but also all of his church elders, their church leaders. The wife of one of the church leaders, that's her, that's her husband, she wrote this to her husband the night after he was arrested. Let me read out the translated version of her letter to her husband. Dear husband, Last night I slept well. When I woke up this morning, I heard that you had been taken away. At that moment, my heart had great peace because I knew you had already prepared for this moment long ago. I know you must be worried about me because you've seen how much of a mess I've been lately, but I'm doing very well now. I've loved the Lord more these past two days than I have ever before. More than anything, my heart is joyful and at peace. At night, tears flow by themselves, but it's not grief. It's hard to say exactly what it is. 
I allow myself to cry, but I haven't felt the least bit of despair. Even if I look for it, I can't find any. Sometimes I want to despair for a moment and grieve a little bit, but I really don't feel like it. I think the Lord has replaced that despair with His fullness. The little ones miss you. They've got kids. I told them, missing daddy is normal. It'd be strange not to miss him. If you miss him, then miss him. Little D, one of their kids, immediately said, after we fall asleep, we won't miss him anymore. And then he immediately fell asleep. (laughs) Lastly, I want to say that knowing what I'm going to receive as a result of what I'm going through now makes me feel so much better. I really do thank our Father in heaven. His plans are most certainly the best. They cannot be mistaken. So what more is there to say? I will joyfully accept them. I love you. I'm going to bed now. Do you know this kind of peace, friends? Because that's real peace, huh? Isn't it? Peace that means you'll be able to sleep through any storm. You'll be able to sleep even when your husband, the father of your young children, is in prison and his future is uncertain. That's real peace. Well, if you know Jesus, the God who loves you, who died for you, who rose again from the dead, who is willing to forgive you, who will promise to live in you and will come back for you one day, if you know Jesus, if you come to Him today and trust and follow Him, then you can have that real peace, guaranteed. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, can I just say, you already have everything you need to bring real peace when you are facing inner conflict or outer turmoil. But maybe you've forgotten that. It says in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has already given us what we need to have the peace that transcends understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and that is called prayer. But you'll have to come back in the new year to hear more about prayer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even when the storms rage outside and there is conflict inside, that we can trust in the peace, the real peace that Jesus brings. Help us who don't yet know this personally to pursue what you want to give us. Come to Jesus by trusting in him and following him and receive real peace. Help us who do know this, but maybe have forgotten, maybe have been overwhelmed by the troubles outside of us or the anxieties within, help us to claim your promise that when we come to you in prayer, petition with thanksgiving, that your peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This Christmas, help us to receive and to share real peace. Amen.